Good evening, everybody. How you doing? It's good to see you. Is it good to see me? Awesome. I'll tell you what, I am very, very glad to be here. Pastor Mark and Brenda, thank you. I was coming through just for the night, and so I messaged to say, you know, with service on, I just wanted to come and visit because this is a river I wanted to stand in. So I have to disclaimer here, truth is a good thing. I'm very selfishly here because I wanted to stand in this river because I'm not just saying it's to flatter. There's a lot of things you could say to be nice, but this church has a phenomenal reputation. And in the circles I walk in and the things I've been around, this church and you guys have a phenomenal reputation. I just wanted to come and stand in here. So to get to share my heart as well, is even I'm even more excited. My prayer is this, that the fire that burns in me will connect with the fire that burns in you. And we'll experience some things together tonight that we couldn't experience alone. So go ahead and take your seats if you would just for a few minutes. We're going to jump back into worship here in a little bit. Um, but I would like to just take a moment and introduce a very good friend of mine. Ty, come up, stand up here beside me, if you would, please. Ty is appropriately named Ty because he's from Thailand, and, and uh, his, his parents are missionaries there. I first met Ty a number of years ago at an FCM event and was at, in Thailand 18 months ago. And one of the things that Ty, his brother Sean, and parents were involved in is a lot of the boy soldiers that you hear on the news and just the horrors of the things that have gone on over there in those people's lives. And to see the staggering power of Christ to redeem people. There's a, there's a guy, you know, he's like a brother to you, but Dakota. And, and this young man, now married with children, grew up in the drug armies. And he was telling me when he was at our church a while ago that there'd be a hundred kids in these drug armies. And once a month, one of them would be shot just to keep them in line. And you and I would look and think, you know, how can you go through that and, you know, come out with anything other than needing lifelong therapy and lifelong counseling and just be a dysfunctional individual. But yet to meet this guy today, it's just absolutely staggering. And the power of Christ to redeem a life is, is so, and, and, and he's whole. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and about, you know, what God did in some of those people's lives. I know I've just asked you something huge, but. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not a small question. But um, so I grew up 18 years of my life over, like, uh, we live three and a half hours north of the second largest city in Thailand and it's right in the middle of the jungle. I know by the way I dress, I do not look like a guy from the jungle, but trust me, yes, like, like Tarzan and America has changed me a lot. Um, so yeah, like growing up, seeing my parents do incredible, incredible and brave things where I'm just like, man, that's a man and woman of faith right there where they just go in into impossible things where they would like just jump on donkeys and ride for 30 hours in the mountains just because they heard that one kid was waiting for them at a village over there. And so I got to be a part of that ever since I was six months old. And, but yeah, one of the stories, um, one of my favorite ones is one of my best friends, his name's Sanan. He actually, um, we grew up together for 18 years. And he was one of the original boy soldiers as my parents got out of the army uh, in, on the Myanmar side, on the Burma side. And so when my parents first got him, because my parents are like, do we want to raise these kids up and give them up for adoption like normal orphanages would do? Or do we want to raise them up as our own sons and daughters? And the Lord told my parents, I want you to raise them up as sons and daughters. And so there was no difference between me and these guys. 
And I just remember when Sanan first came and joined us, he, like, he was dealing with a lot, a lot of stuff. Because at the age of 12 years old, he's already killed six people. And, like, he was trained to do that. And so when he came into a family that loves Jesus, that's not about war, that's about Jesus, it, like, kind of shook him, like, shocked him. And so he's like, man, I've done so many horrible things. I don't want to live anymore. And so one day I woke up in the morning and he was gone. And I was like, oh, where does Sanan go? Where does Sanan go? And so it turns out he went to the river and he didn't know how to swim. So he jumped in the river because he's like, I'm done with this life. He's like, I've done horrible things. Jesus can't forgive me. He jumps in. And then all of a sudden, this miraculous whirlpool starts. And it chucks him out to the side of the riverbank. And he starts, he starts throwing up. And he starts like, and he's like, man, if it's this hard to die, I don't want to die anymore. Because I, I, I want to live. And so watching these incredible guys grow up. And now they have healthy families. They're running after God with everything they have. And every time I go home, I go home once a year to do worship at a conference that my parents throw. And we actually, that's how John and I met. Like, again, three weeks ago, I was uh, doing worship conferences in Singapore, Malaysia, and Thailand. And then I went to Thailand, and then John was speaking. And it was just an incredible, incredible time of worship. But to see families restored and to see sons and daughters come home is like my biggest life calling. And so, yeah. That's a little bit about me. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, my friend. The staggering power of Jesus Christ to restore and redeem is just, is just absolutely mind-blowing. And every time I hear those stories and I think of the cross, I think of Jesus hanging there, changing everything. And it just makes me glad to be part of the kingdom. Very glad to be part of the kingdom. So um, while we're telling stories, I'll tell you a little bit about mine. Because as I go, get going, you might think, he's nuts. But... I'm screwed on the right bolt, so don't worry about me. But so, um, first time I really encountered the power of the Holy Spirit, and this will set up with where we're going, I want to talk about this evening. When I was six years old, uh, my parents were in, we were invited to some meetings in London. And we went to a little church that loved the Lord, preached the gospel, but kind of didn't take things further than sin, the cross, and forgiveness. And I mean, thank the Lord for that. We were born again in that. But we were reading in the Bible and seeing there was a little bit more, and we'd heard about these miracles, signs, and wonders. And we used to joke in our church, probably wasn't very funny to the pastor, but we enjoyed it. The only signs in our church were the exit signs above the door. The only miracles, if you could stay awake throughout the sermon, and the only thing you had to wonder about was if anyone would come back next week. And so we wanted to see the real deal. And we went up the first night. I will never forget this as long as I live. There was a lady with a deformed hand. I don't mean arthritic. It was half the size of the other hand from birth. And when the evangelist prayed for her, her hand grew out right in front of her eyes, and my eyes got as big as saucers. And so the next night we went back, and when he was praying for the sick, I was standing on one of the chairs. It was about a thousand people there. To me, that was like a coliseum. Our you know, church had 60 people you know, in there at absolute, you know, on Easter Sunday. And, um, and the presence of the Holy Spirit was there. And, and I was standing on the chair, and I did something I'd never done before. We didn't do this kind of thing at our church. I closed my eyes, and I raised my hands to heaven. And when I did that, God dropped a vision in my heart as clear as I can see you sitting in front of me. And I saw two things. 
I saw myself preaching the gospel and demonstrating the power of God. And I knew from that moment that, that the purpose of my life was, was to, to sell out for Jesus and to preach the gospel. And I, I saw my little sliver of the pie and I've never wanted anything else since then. But I saw something so much bigger than me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but what I was seeing was Isaiah chapter 60, which talks about darkness covering the earth and gross darkness the people. It says, but the Lord will arise on you and his light will be seen on you. And I saw like a satellite image of Europe. And I thought it was nighttime because it was dark, but I actually believe it was spiritual darkness I was seeing. But you could see shafts of light coming up out of um, arenas and stadiums and churches and homes. And that satellite image began to zoom in. And the closer I got, I could see from every direction, like ants running in, people running to those the sources of light. When I got closer, I, it's like I, I felt the atmosphere in that place. I, it, it was crackling with the miraculous. You could feel the anticipation and the expectancy. You weren't having to twist people's arms behind their back to get them to pray the sinner's prayer. They were saying, Jesus, you know, what can I do to be saved? There was such a hunger and such a passion and such an expectancy and such worship. It was Gentiles coming, running to that light. And as light God took me. Now, always use this illustration. If, if you ever tr- try to describe what being wet feels like to someone, it's impossible. You, you can't do it. You can't explain wet. But if you take a man and you hold him under in a swimming pool for about five seconds and pull him back out, you don't have to say a word. He knows exactly what wet feels like. And the only way I can say, my friend, it was like God took me and dunked me in the spirit of revival for about five seconds and pulled me out. And he didn't have to say, he wrote his word on my heart that night and it branded me and I have from that day to this and my mother could tell you I've never wanted anything else but to see with my physical eyes what I saw with the eyes of my spirit that night and that is what motivates me that's what drives me I, I don't I don't really care what role I play in it I don't care if I'm singing I don't care if I'm in the pew I don't care if I'm preaching that's not the issue I just want to see it I want to experience it and be part of it and so that fire shut up in my bones kind of fueled my teenage, my, 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 my um, young life, my teenage life. I had a hunger for the Word and the things of God. I graduated high school at 16, not just because I'm super intelligent, as my friend would say, but because we graduate high school in England at 16. And then, and then I remember I talked to my parents one day, and the organization that I was called to preach the gospel under when I was six years old. It's called Reach Out for Christ. And this was just after the walls of communism fell. And Steve Ryder, the, the main evangelist, had gone over to Eastern Europe. And to his shock and everybody's shock and delight, saw 360,000 people born again in six months. Raised up 11 churches. And so I went over to help. And helping was catching the people that were slain in the spirit in the services, waiting in line. Because that was back in the days when you had to wait in line for food. And, you know, the, uh, the butchers and the bakers and the grocers. And, and then counting the offerings and, and just doing whatever I could do to help. But after about six weeks, I was invited to do one of the street crusades. And um, there was a man that just had arthritis throughout his body. He, he was as stiff as a board when he moved, in extreme pain. He would have been in a wheelchair, but Czechoslovakia at the time was not wheelchair accessible. And the fire of God hit him in that meeting, and, uh, out on the streets, and he was completely healed. And I was from then on, as it were, hired to be the street preacher. And the first major miracle I had the privilege of seeing was five days before my 17th birthday, when there was a lady that was paralyzed from her waist down. Her son brought her. In fact, we still have a picture. It might even be on our website of, of me standing next to this lady. I've given away the end, but me standing next to this lady. And, and it's the most incredible thing when God touches someone and they're unable to walk 
And then just a moment later, they're running around, literally running around a circle of all these people. And, and here's the thing, you know as well as I do, it's the Holy Spirit that does that in the name of Jesus. I was just praying this afternoon, I was thinking about it, and I was just, you know, enjoying the presence of the Lord in my room. Thank you, by the way, for my beautiful hotel room. And the hospitality here is, I tell you what, if you've got low self-esteem, just be a guest speaker at Heart of the Bay, because you make, you make me feel like a king. I mean, honestly, it's, thank you, thank you. But as I was in that room this afternoon praying, I just, you know, felt the Holy Spirit say, when Samson did all those great things, that's because the Holy Spirit was with him. You know, we, we put that off as thousands of years ago, and it was, but it was the Holy Spirit with him. And when David walked on the battlefield and killed Goliath, it's because the Holy Spirit was with him. And when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus was raised from the dead, that's because God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. And if the Holy Spirit did all that, a God that doesn't change, if he would walk in the room right now, the same Holy Spirit that caused Samson to do all those things and caused David to kill Goliath, my goodness, we put God in such a small box, and I think he's wanting to break out of it. I really, really do. And so I've got some things I want to share with you this evening. But I want to pray, and then, I don't know, we're going to sing and talk, and I just love the atmosphere in this place. But can I just share this with you before we go any further? This is what I wrote down. I love the hotel, but they give very small little <laughs> note paper. I guess no one writes anything anymore. They kind of have to do it. But So it's a short word I have for you this evening. <laughs> but anyway, I squeezed in what I felt the Holy Spirit say. Heart of the Bay This is what God put in my heart to share with you this afternoon It's simple, but it's powerful There is a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit that's about to hit you I believe that with all my heart There is a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit that's about to hit you You've been in between moves But this one will be a culmination of over 30 years of work Things you've been seeding into, sowing into for over 30 years. And it will contain supernatural demonstrations that you thought were lost. You thought that you thought they were for a, a season and, and they're not anymore. But Jesus Christ is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there is a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Just begin to raise your hands and thank you for that. Let's receive the word of the Lord. There's a, there's a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit. Come on, just thank him for it. I want to share something with you today. Just, and, and as much as anything, just kind of talk from my heart a little bit, if that's all right. I, um, my passion is for the move of God. My passion is for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that glorifies Jesus. And to be very clear, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the name given whereby people will be saved. But it's the Holy Spirit that glorifies him. And one of the things that concerns me, the perspective I have, I've traveled quite a lot around the world. I don't know how many churches I've preached in, but at least 500. And I know I've preached in 32 countries around the world. So there's people that know a lot more than me about these things, of course. But my experience is quite broad, too. And one of the things that troubles me, I'm also, I've been preaching for a while. So I've been preaching for 20 years. And Angela and I, my wife and I, we, I remember we used to kind of have this list of our top 10 favorite churches. 
in the world to preach in. And not necessarily the biggest churches. Some were larger, some were smaller. But what made them our favorite was the freedom of the Spirit. The move of the Spirit. The, just how easy it was to jump in the river. The receptivity to the Word, etc. And you know what is extremely sad to me? Of that list of ten, there's only really two left. Five of the ten are com- completely no longer in existence. Three of them might as well not be. If the horse is dead, dismount. But, you know, we keep going. And there's two of them. One of them's doing all right. And the other one, it's in Toronto. I haven't been there for a little while. but And that's, it saddens me. And for us Holy Ghost people... I don't believe it needs to be that way. The river is so fresh. The fire, we talk about fresh fire. I've, I've never met stale fire. There's not really any such thing as stale fire. It's just we remove ourselves. And I remember a little while ago, I was preaching here in the United States. I was preaching, I'm not going to tell you exactly where in case anybody listens to this that I wouldn't want listening to it. But I was preaching at a particular church. It, it happens to be a quite large church. And I'd preached there before. We'd had a really, really good time and a good move of the Holy Spirit. Lots of things had happened. Lots of great things had happened. And me and the pastor to this day are really good friends. So our relationship is strong. I've been there a number of times. He's been to me a number of times. And and, um, I look up to him and respect him very highly. But I remember this one time I I had flown in. I was going to be preaching at his church the next day. And he called me on the phone just a little bit nervous. And I think he'd had a little bit of a, a, an earwagging from some people within his church. And so he said, John, he said, you know, he said, we're, oh, we're looking forward to the service tomorrow and just so excited and, you know, mm, praise the Lord. And this and I said, but, you know, he said, the morning service is kind of people from all sorts of different, you know, walks of life and, and different denominations that are sort of gathered together and, and um, said, you know, not, not everybody is as charismatic as others. He said, in the night service, it's, you know, that's our charismatic crowd. He said, you know, just, just really go for it then. And he said, but in the morning service, maybe, and you could tell he was kind of a little bit nervous to say what he's about to say. He said, maybe, perhaps, maybe don't talk in tongues in the morning service. How about in the night service talking tongues, in the morning service, and you know, maybe not, I'll tell you what, let's, let's maybe not, and he listed a few different things to perhaps not do. And don't misunderstand me. I am, I am genuinely very respectful. In fact, I, I'm, I'm honored to be able to say I've never preached anywhere that I haven't been invited back. Some places I haven't gone back, but I've always been invited back. I feel like when you go to ministry somewhere, you go in the ministry of helps, you go to serve, you're not there to cause trouble. I've been well taught along these lines, and so I will always submit to the to the, those in authority unless they directly ask me to contradict the word in which case you know to do something else but so but it troubled me because and, and my first thought was then why did you invite me <laughs> it's not like you don't know what you're getting but anyway so I went to sleep and I was thinking about this and 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 I woke up the next morning very early because I was on English time. So it was about four o'clock in the morning. Have you ever had one of those experiences where your, your, your spirit is communing with the Lord and you kind of wake up in the middle of a conversation? Have you ever had that? And, and your, your kind of mind catches up with what's going on in your spirit. And, and I was thinking as I went to sleep, I was thinking, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know quite what to do. Holy Spirit, so I, don't, I don't know how to say I'm going to do it without you, you know, can you come this evening? I, I don't quite know how to do that. And I, I know I'm putting it worse than, than it, it is, but that's kind of how it felt. And 
And I was, I, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning and I heard the Holy Spirit ask me this question as clear as a bell. I heard him say, what about me? What about me? And the amazing thing about God is he could speak a sentence and write a book. And, and this is what I, I understood in my spirit. You know, body of Christ wide, throughout Christendom, we have cemented Jesus' role. We understand who he is. We know he's king of kings. We know he's lord of lords. We know he's the only name given by which people can be saved. We know that, we know that he's a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. We know he's the head of the church. We have cemented Jesus' role. We've cemented the role of the father. In the words of the Chris Tomlin song, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. We, we get that. We get that he's the great I am. We get that he's the just judge of all. The, we understand who he is and we've, we've cemented his role. We've cemented the role of the lost. We get that. And we made great progress in the last 20 years or so that we no longer sit in our glass houses and throw stones at the injustice of the sinners. But we understand that we're here to go into all the world and preach the gospel and, and demonstrate the love of God, not with compromise, but with, with passion. And, and don't tell them Jesus loves them until you're ready to love them too. And we've cemented the role of the lost, but we have no idea what to do with the Holy Spirit. No idea. Do we let him move? If the Holy Spirit moves, does he shine a spotlight on the cross that people see Jesus? Or the gifts and the moving and the the intricacies of the Holy Spirit, is that more like a smokescreen so people can't see the cross anymore? And I don't believe it's malintended, but I believe what happened is this. You see, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says there was four responses. I'm going through this quickly because I know this is a church that knows the word well, and you can follow along with what I'm not saying as much as what I am. But the Bible says there was four responses on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. It says some were amazed, some doubted, some were confused and said, what is this? And others mocked and said, oh, they're drunk. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes, there will always be four responses. Always. Some will be amazed and say, wow, this is wonderful. Look what God's doing. Some will doubt. And say, you know, I'm not sure that's God. I'm not convinced about this kind of thing. Some will be confused. They genuinely don't understand what it is. I don't don't get what this is about. I I don't, a bit like, you know, the the children of Israel in the wilderness with manna. What what is it? And then some will flat out mock and they'll talk against you and they'll post nasty things on Facebook and, you know. And I think what happened is pastors have looked and said, you know what? Because of all the, the, the three, I suppose, Less than positive responses that many times happen. In fact, not many times, always happen when the Holy Spirit shows up. We have thought, you know what, maybe let's take a step back from the move of the Holy Spirit. because Not because it's malintended, but we have misguidedly thought we can do a better job of glorifying Jesus without the Holy Spirit's moving than we can with Him. And I don't believe it's malintended. I don't believe people are trying to promote their ministries. I don't believe people are trying to save their reputation. They are genuinely trying to preserve the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is the one that will glorify me. He's the one that will take what's mine and show it to you. So if you take the Holy Spirit out the way, people stop seeing what Jesus has done. And so we've kind of left the Holy Spirit in the wings thinking we can do a better job of presenting Jesus without the Holy Spirit than we can with the Holy Spirit's involvement. Let's sort of leave him in a side room. But what happened on the day of Pentecost is exactly what Jesus said would happen. The Holy Spirit glorified him because within two hours of the Holy Spirit coming, 3,000 people were born again. 
the next day 5,000 more and some theologians say that was only counting the women and the men, let alone the women and the children. So the church was a minimum of 8,000 within 24 hours of the Holy Spirit coming. Because he did exactly what Jesus said he would do. He glorified me. And I'm concerned that we have begun to substitute brass for gold. When it comes to the things of the Spirit and the move of the Spirit. And even us, Pentecostal, Spirit-filled, move of the Holy Spirit type people have backed so far away from these things and I believe God's saying heart of the bay there's a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit about to hit you because I feel like the Holy Spirit is tired of waiting in the wings so to speak and yes we say that he's a gentleman and I don't doubt that but he's also a mighty rushing wind He's also cloven tongues like fire that come and rest on your head. And I don't care if you're Californian, Texan, English, or from Thailand. When you touch fire, there's a response. Always. And people might. In fact, let's be honest. We've got to resign ourselves to the fact that some will doubt, some will mock, and some will be confused. But many will be amazed. And honestly, we've got to be willing to take the rough with the smooth. We can't say we weren't warned. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. So I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This will cost some of you your lives. The worst that tends to happen to most of us in the Western world is people say ugly things on Facebook. And it's not nice. I get it too. You get it too. It's not nice. But come on. Come on. We've been bought with a price. And I, I want to I point to a verse of scripture that is, is very, very powerful to me. Turn to Second Chronicles, if you would please, chapter 9. And again, a simple message. I'm not going to preach long this evening. But f- just for the sake of, of uh, helpfulness this evening, I just want to quickly point out that in Bible typology, different materials represent and point to different things. For example, oil, wine, and water point to the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not a lion. He's God. But there's attributes about a lion that teaches things about Jesus. And there are two elements we're going to look at this evening. One is the element of gold. Gold in the Bible represents divinity. It symbolizes the glory of God. What God can do. Brass in the Bible symbolizes humanity. What man can do. What you and I can accomplish. And so obviously we want gold, not brass. And there's an expression we use. I don't know if you use it in America. We use it in England all the time. Don't substitute brass for gold. And that comes from this passage of Scripture. And, and Israel, at the time we're looking at, with the time we're reading here, I, I mean, God's glory had rested on that nation in a very spectacular way. David had been king. And then Solomon had been king. It was now the end of Solomon's reign. He died. And his son, David's grandson, Rehoboam, was king of Israel. And the glory of God was still resting on that nation. And and it was in part demonstrated by the gold. I'm not taking this into a different place. I'm talking about with the glory, and and it symbolized the glory of God. And in Solomon's temple, which was magnificent beyond words, and it it was ornate, and it was intricate, and it was, I mean, it was just beautiful. But the most spectacular thing about Solomon's temple was that there were 300 gold shields, which are... um, 
hung on the inside of that temple. And the way the light came through, you were struck with the magnificence of these gold shields. 300 of them. Huge, great things. And they were extremely valuable in and of themselves. In fact, in today's money, the total value of those shields was about $72 million. So they were worth a lot, but they were worth far more in what they represented. They represented the zenith of Israel's glory. That God's favor rested on them. That his presence went with them. That God had delivered them. That God had restored them. That God had lifted them up. That God, God's favor was with them. And so Rehoboam, King David's grandson, King Solomon's son, began to allow sin in his life and sin in Israel. And it opened a door for them to be invaded. And so Shishak, king of Egypt, saw the window of opportunity. And so he got his army together and he invaded Israel and, and attacked them in the middle of the night, wanting to get all kind of stuff. But what he was really going for was the temple. He went, that's where, that was the target. And so he went to the temple and he saw many things, but the things he really wanted was the gold shields for two reasons. Without a doubt, because they were $72 million. But even more than that, he knew what they represented. He knew they represented that God was with Israel, that his glory was with Israel, that his presence was with them, and he had given them rest. And so Shishak came and he stole those 300 shields. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and verse 9 and 10 says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And it came to pass that in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Verse 9 in Second Chronicles chapter 12. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything and he carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Instead of which King Rehoboam made shields of brass. Everyone say, uh-oh. And he committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard that kept the entrance of the king's house. So Rehoboam goes in the next day, goes into the temple, and the thing he probably feared the most had happened, he looks in and he sees empty spaces. 300 empty spaces. The gold was gone. The glory of God was gone. It was now plain for everyone to see that because of his actions, the glory of God had lifted off of Israel as symbolized by the fact that these shields were stolen. Rehoboam decided this. He said, you know what? It's too hard to get them back. It's going to cost too much to get that gold back. Let's make brass shields. We'll make brass shields. And in fact, the Bible says he appointed someone to polish them all day. So they were shiny enough you could pretend they were gold. It's not gold, but we'll just pretend. Could you imagine King David for even a moment making that same choice? No way. He'd have said, the minute he walked in there, he'd have said, get the mighty men. Right now, I don't care if they're tired. I don't care how long since you've eaten. Get the mighty men. Get the biggest horses. We're going to go get those. Kill every man, woman, boy, girl, goat, chicken that gets in the way. We're going to get those back. And I don't care if it costs us everything we have. Because he would not have allowed the glory of God to have been stolen. No way would he have let that happen. He was the man after God's own heart. Rehoboam said, too hard to get it back. And he substituted brass for gold. Gold takes care of itself. 
Gold is a very strange material. It keeps itself shiny. It keeps itself pure. Brass is not that way. You have to work really hard to keep brass shiny. What's my point I'm saying is this, is I believe that in much of the church today, we have substituted brass for gold. We don't have the glory of God anymore. We don't have the, the move of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the anointing of God, but it's okay. We've got, a, we, we got an awesome app. Our website, my goodness. I mean, T.D. Jakes would be proud of it. It's that good. Social media, we're all over it. I mean, we're pinging it out left, right, and center. We Instagram everything. You can't hardly sneeze without a post about it. We haven't got the anointing, but that's okay. We'll just dim the lights and turn up the smoke machine. Let's bring in some pads and kind of... We'll just... We'll just... We'll shine it all up. Man, we'll dress spiffier. We'll get a better sound system. We'll make sure we're really cool. The pastor gets too old. We'll just get a younger one. Why are you looking over at Pastor Mark? I, that, that was all there. I wasn't even going there. I wasn't even thinking that. PT, you're getting me in trouble here. We'll just get a new one. We'll just, we'll, it's too hard to get the gold back. We'll just, we'll just shine out what we're doing. We'll make it look really impressive. We'll, we proudly serve Starbucks coffee. But here's the reality, my friend. You cannot substitute brass for gold and get away with it. Four o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I heard the question, what about me? What about me? And the Holy Spirit illustrated it this way to me. And please, I'm going to use the words me and mine. Um, not because in any way I view a service as mine or anointing as mine. It'll just communicate more easily. If a blind man walks into my service and walks out seeing... I've just become the most relevant man on the planet to that blind man. And if a family walks in and their teenager is one poor decision away from just throwing away the next 10 years of their life, and that teenager walks out and their heart is broken toward God and turned back toward their family, we're the most relevant place on the planet to that family. But if that blind man comes in and we greet him at the door and say, Sir, let us lead you to our posturepedically perfect seats. You're going to love it today. We've got a line array sound system. I mean, we, it's, it's tuned to perfection. Our songs will be three and a half minutes, not a second longer, because we don't want to spoil your enjoyment of the service. And the, and the sermon is 27 minutes and 30 seconds. We won't do too much at the end because we don't want to offend you or upset you. But, but when the service ends, sir, let us take you to our coffee bar. It rivals anything you let. Well, sir, we, we serve the best coffee, lovingly plucked from the fields of wherever. And then at the end of that time, we say, can I call you an Uber and take you, you know, get you a ride home? We are irrelevant to that man's needs. Power is always relevant. And that's why Jesus said, don't leave. Don't leave the upper room till the Holy Spirit comes. Don't leave. Don't go out there polishing your breasts. This is what we can do. This is what we, let's tell you what we learned when Jesus was around. No, he said, wait for the Holy Spirit because he's the one that hangs the gold shield. He's the one that hangs the gold shield. And my friend, I don't care really what it costs us. I, I would rather have one gold shield in my life than 300 breasts. I'd rather have one thing in my life that you can get around and say, yeah, when I look at that, I see God.
When I look at that thing in his life, I see God. When, when that happens, I see the glory of God. Then demonstrate all the things I can do and, and my oratory skill and my, my Christian jokes. And I, I don't, I don't want to go there. Even in my own life, in your own life, what about our morning devotions? Are we content with the fact we did it? Read through our every day with Jesus and doing the Bible in a year and sing a couple of songs and a, a prayer or two and tick the box. I did it. Off we go for the day, come back the next day, polish up our devotion life. Oh, you didn't pray today? Oh. When you were playing, I was praying. And all of that stuff comes in. You think, no, 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 hang on a minute. What difference does it make? Are we content to go through the motions? Or have we substituted brass for gold? Used to be we'd press into the presence of God. We'd wait till the glory of God came. And His Word was like fire shut up in our bones. Now we remember it. But are we living it? Are we experiencing it? Is it burning in us? God's been challenging with two questions. One is this. And I want to share that with you this evening. Very simply. As a church serving this nation in the 21st century. Are we willing to settle for brass? Or will we fight for gold? The Bible says it was needful to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith. Once delivered to the saints. To earnestly contend. The Bible warns us not to try and regard in the church. Not to try and perfect in the flesh what God birthed in the spirit. Started with the move of the Holy Spirit. Now we don't need. We'll, we'll finish it off, Lord. We'll, we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power. If we're quite honest. Too much gold. Too much God has been stolen from our temples, from our churches. Too much. Way too much. It's time to say, Lord, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until something opens back up. Until something cracks back open. I'm telling you, heart of the bay, there is a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit coming to this church. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, get ready. And it will contain the supernatural. It absolutely will. And then the last point I want to make is this. I've been talking about this a lot actually in Agape the last few days. I love being there. Have, have any of you ever been down to Pastor Mike's Powers Church and... I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. But one of the things God's been dealing with me about lately. So number one, are we willing to fight for the gold or, and serve the purpose of God in our generation? But number two, if we are, is this. As individuals, we have to die to the need to be impressive. We've got to die to the need to be impressive. If we are concerned about impressing people, we will never experience the gold. Never. We will only ever shine and polish the brass. And I had, a, I had a, a very poignant example of this in my own life for a number of years ago. I was preaching in a, at a particular event and there was about 2,000 people there. And I don't usually like to talk about how many people are at events, but it fits in at the moment. There's about 2,000 people there. And I came to the end of my message. I'm, I'm sort of doing my thing. And the Holy Spirit gives me a word of knowledge. And the word of knowledge was this. There's someone here that gets migraines or there's people here that gets migraines or gets them regularly and the Lord wants to heal you. And I'm standing there thinking, I can't give that word. Obviously, there's, so, there's 2,000 people. Of course there's someone here that gets migraines or gets them regularly. Lord, they're going to think, is that the best he can cut? Seriously? That's all you've got? Is there's a migraine? And I'm thinking, Lord, I can't do that. And that's when the Holy Spirit dropped to my heart. You've got to die to the need to be impressive, John. And so with great 
consternation, if that's the right word. I said, the Lord's put in my heart that there's someone or someone's here that you have a migraine or you get migraines regularly and he wants to heal you. What about, I don't know, loads of people stood up. Just the law of averages will tell you in a crowd of 2,000 people, there's going to be a bunch of people that have migraine headaches or get them regularly. And I prayed for them. No sooner had I finished praying for them when the Holy Spirit gave me another word of knowledge about someone that had an issue with their hip and it was much more specific about, you know, the, the, it was, I think it was the right hip and, and, and the, what happened when that hip moved. And, and I says, anybody here and you have this particular problem in your hip? And about four or five people stood up. Again, big crowd. Then there was another word of knowledge. I forget what it was, but it was more specific still. I can't remember what that one was. Then came to the last one. And the Holy Spirit put in my heart, there was someone in here, you'd been in a car accident. I knew the color of the car. I knew the year that it had happened. I saw every injury they experienced, all that had been repaired surgically, but there was a part of their body that had never been repaired, had never recovered. They were still in pain. And that God wanted to heal that man of that situation and that part of your body, if that's you, stand up. And he stood up and he was completely healed. And when I went back to my hotel room at the end of the night and I did what I always do at the end of every service, I took every crown, every compliment, every anything nice that anyone had said. And I said, Jesus, I give all of these to you. Everything that anyone said, this is all for your glory. And and I said, Lord, thank you for doing that. I said, Lord, I really, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the way you moved. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, if I hadn't been willing to give the first word of knowledge, which to me was embarrassing. I'm just talking about in my own flesh, in my own self, I was embarrassed to stand up in front of 2,000 people and call out a word of knowledge of a migraine because I was more concerned about being impressive. My friend, we've got to die to the need to be impressive. And I know the Holy Spirit said, if I hadn't been willing to give that first one, I never, never would have been able to step through. Jesus made himself of no reputation. Almighty God, not it's not robbery to can say consider him equal with God because he is equal. There was no word of a lie to say he's equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, humbled himself. My friend, if we want to experience the move of God, one of the things that has to go is our need to be impressive. And if we would just say this, you know what? Rather than being impressive, I just want to add value to anyone I get around. If I can just add value to you, if I can just demonstrate the love of God to you, if I, if I can just some way, somehow encourage you, lift you up, minister to you, share something with you. If there's a word that God gives me for you, I'm just going to share it. If I can die to the need to be impressive and live to the need to add value, then all of a sudden we become a place that God can start hanging gold shields on. That when people get around us, what they see is not what we've polished up. Because here's the thing, when people see the gold of God in our lives, they will be impressed by Him, not us. Father, we pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we long for the outpouring of Your Spirit. We long for it. Lord, in this region, Lord, all throughout San Francisco Bay Area, Lord, we pray that this place would experience a shaking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the places that have been written off, places that people have said is never going to happen and the move of God isn't going to come. God, that we would see in this place such an outpouring of your Spirit and it would come again with the supernatural. Lord, we lay down our own desires. We lay down our own need to be impressive. 
Lord, what you say to us, where you send us, what you speak to us, Lord, we'll do. PT, could you come up to the keyboard, please? Lord, we long for you. We long for your presence. Holy Spirit, we long to see you glorify Jesus. You do it better than anybody. You do what we can never do. And we need you. Can we just one more time just lift our hands toward heaven and give the Lord thanks for a little, a little window into what's coming. Just a little window tonight into what's coming. Jesus, we love you. We bless you. We are so glad to be able to call ourselves Christians. We are so proud of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so grateful to you for hanging on that cross, dealing with our sin, lifting it off of our shoulders, and making a way to the Father. We're so grateful for lifting us up out of our sin and translating us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We will thank you, Jesus, forever and ever and ever. We love you. Jesus, you're my hero. Dear Holy Spirit, thank you for glorifying Jesus in this place. Lord, we give you thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Esther Mark, sir, can I hand back to you? Thank you for letting me come and just give me. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Well, well, are you glad you came tonight? I'd like to have Brother John back. He, he went to a, a meeting in Texas to preach for just one service? For two days, and how long did the revival last for? Three months. Wow. Praise the Lord. It's a blessing, a great blessing to have Pastor John here and Ty. Amen. Praise God.